0: Welcome back to the Resiliency Ninja Podcast. It's Allison Graham, and today's guest is a true master of resilience. You are about to hear some very cool stories about plane crashes and dealing with shareholders and building uh, an organization when people thought you couldn't do it. So this is an exciting interview for me to share with you. I've been holding it for a little while to end out the season two of the Resiliency Ninja podcast as we celebrate our one-year anniversary thank you to everyone who has been a part of the Resiliency Ninja community who is faithfully listening or if this is your very first podcast welcome so happy to have you here where we talk about everything that uh, helps us do better in our lives reducing our stress mastering everyday resilience and not letting obstacles stall progress or hurt our profits, because we're going to face obstacles. That's what happens. But we don't need to let them define us. Before I formally introduce David, I want to share with you a little bit about what's happening with the Resiliency Ninja podcast moving forward. Now this summer, what we're going to do is just have more of a QA. and I'm going to hold off on doing any more guest interviews until the fall, uh, which is you know gonna be great you'll be able to catch up on ones that you've missed I love interviewing people and getting some of these great stories out there so that will return in the meantime we are launching and when I say we I've got Michaela on the team here at Resiliency Ninja and uh, you know we thought you know so many people ask me questions whether it's after a keynote, when I'm done speaking, I get, uh, you know, people line up to talk to you and they have different questions or if it's at a party, you know, I was at a barbecue this weekend and having a conversation about stress for a business owner and how how difficult things can really get when they're under pressure as a team. Uh, you know people are still asking me about business development because of course when I started my business in 2006 that's what I taught was business development and networking for profitability and so I can still draw on that information but we thought why not just do a weekly segment where I answer a, a listeners question and uh, you know just get some variety into the programming so please uh, if you have anything you want to want me to chat about on the show, just send me a, an email at, at allison at r-ninja.com. So resiliencyninja.com or r-ninja.com. And of course, we'll be sure that's available in the show notes. So now on to the interview, I actually caught up with David Taylor in his London, Ontario head office for VersaBank. Now, VersaBank, you may or may not know, uh, be familiar with it. It is actually Canada's ninth chartered bank. And I remember when that happened in the early 2000s. It was the first time that a bank in Canada had got that status in 18 years. It was 1993 when David came up with the idea of having a branchless digital bank. And in 2019, that doesn't seem that revolutionary. Well, of course you would. We have lots of things that are branchless. In 1993, that was shocking and groundbreaking and uh, was the beginning of something really quite significant in the uh, the banking market. They have now, uh, a couple years ago, launched a cryptocurrency vault, which is just keeping with the times. And, and it's no wonder that David was awarded the 2018 Big Innovation Award for Innovative Excellence by the Business Intelligence Group. So very cool. And his LinkedIn profile simply says, creative executor, which I think is exactly it. You know what, when you don't need a lot of intro, that's all you need, two words. And he's definitely that. So I'm going to uh, just let you enjoy the interview. You can tell that I had a ton of fun hearing these stories of plane crashes and, uh, you know, answering to shareholders and all of those great things that uh, not just the stories, but the, the nuggets of wisdom that you're about to hear in this interview. So I hope you love it as much as I did. Don't forget to send me a question for the Ask Allison series that will begin next week welcome David
1: well I'm very pleased to be here Allison. and uh, yes I can share a few stories of uh, resiliency I suppose uh, or cheating the fates <laughs> from uh, from maybe what they had in mind uh, uh, if, you'd, if you'd like me to start with my sort of personal philosophy of I'd life love that like yes that, please. Uh, it probably frames the discussion uh, I see uh, I see life as a kind of a big game and uh, I, I enjoy every moment of it uh, whether you know characterized as a, as a tough time or a good time to me it's all exciting and fun and uh, I love dealing with people and understanding what they're all about and uh, I, I've always believed uh, that I wouldn't get anywhere anywhere unless I, I pushed myself to a limit and sometimes uh, maybe I went over the limits a little and uh, and had to be uh, lucky to survive but um, that's the way I played my life, uh, and uh, uh, luckily I, I managed to stay alive, and as they say in the, uh, the aircraft world, uh, you'll have a lot of uh, sto- good stories in the hangar as long as you live long <laughs> enough to... <laughs> I re- recall them. Yeah.
0: So I know uh, people want to hear about building a bank and creating all that, but let's yes. talk about this because I've alluded to it. You've mentioned yes. it. You are a pilot. Yes. And I remember when I first met you, like, the, and I, you and I first met, you wouldn't remember, but it would have been 2000. And- 3 yeah, I'd I say so, yeah. about that, maybe yeah. 2002. And uh, I'd heard these stories about this guy who, uh, I think there was a cornfield and there was a plane and you landed, but you weren't supposed to land there or something or what well, happened?
1: Well, there was, uh, there was a wheat field and a cornfield. Oh! <laughs> and uh, uh, the first one was a wheat field. Uh, and that was kind of an interesting uh, sort of metaphor for dealing with challenges in life. Uh I was flying to Saskatoon in a twin engine plane, like I've done uh, fairly often, and um, I got the characteristic uh, signs that uh, one of the engines was starving for fuel, and I thought, whoa, I'm about uh, five minutes into the city of Saskatoon, and uh, if that engine quits, and they both burn fuel about the same time, I might lose both engines right in the city, and I'll have no place to land. Uh, so um, there are business metaphors in this too. So I thought, hmm, risk management came in. I thought, gee, if I persist for the next five or ten minutes, I very well could be no place to go uh, except for in the buildings, and likely wouldn't survive. So I decided to do a U-turn and head back to the safety of the prairies, thinking the plane can land anywhere in the flat <laughs> Saskatchewan on the prairies. So I hit my uh, my uh, little. Uh, GPS to find the closest airport and it was Watrous, Saskatchewan. It was only about 10 minutes from the plane behind me so I thought well I head to Watrous and uh, as I turned around the uh, the engine did quit and I thought whoa there we go but now now I'm looking at the prairies and I've got the other engine so I thought well I'll just motor off to Watrous, Saskatchewan uh, and land so just before I got like a mile or two from Watrous I knew why they called it Waterus. It was a great big lake between ah! me, me, and what was supposed to be the, the piece of gravel that, they, uh, that the crop dusters were landing on. And I thought, "Aha! The fates of uh, trying to get me again. You know, they they tempted me to go into the city, and uh, and that would have been probably ended badly." Uh, and uh, now they want me to go across this water with one engine and, and it, you know, they're gonna quit the other one and I'll end up in the waterous in the, <laughs> <laughs> lake. So, so I thought, hmm, how do I, how do I deal with this? I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll climb and I'll climb high enough that if the engine quits in the middle, the worst case, I'll be high enough to glide to either side. So if, uh, if it quits on the way up, I can glide, glide to the shore I'm leaving from. If it quits in the middle, I can glide to the other shore. So it quit in the middle. And I thought, perfect. <laughs> just what I expected, you buggers. Eh? You try, try to trick me. So um, it was nice and quiet, of course. No sounds, yeah. just, uh, just beautiful glider zooming along. And, uh, uh, and I spotted the, uh, the gravel that, that crop dusters were using. I thought, well, I'll just glide right into that. And I um, selected gear down. And son of a gun, uh, uh, my hydraulics of course were working because the uh, the engines were quit. Uh, So (laughs) I I reached for my emergency uh, pump and unfortunately uh, uh, the wonderful woman I was with at the time was a little shorter and she pulled her seat up and jammed a coffee cup holder over top of my emergency uh, pump to pump my gear down. So now, aha, now I've got something to deal with. I can't get my, my wheels down. And I'm gliding in, you know, descending up fairly rapidly to keep the airspeed up. Uh, so then I made the decision that all good pilots are supposed to do, and that was um, fly the airplane. Uh, so always keep your airspeed up so you don't, you don't end up dropping into the field. So I gave up on trying to get the gear down. And I just moved over a little bit into a comfy, soft wheat field. And I thought to myself, there we go, a nice cushion to land in. And I thought, gee whiz, I, I might damage my prop because it might be, you know, perpendicular to hit the, hit the ground. So I, I used my little starter to, to straighten it out so it was level and, and then cushioned into the, the wheat field. And I, I could uh, hear somebody uh, saying, oh, my goodness, we're all going to die. Uh, <laughs> and you're but, thinking, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> my son said, don't worry. My dad'll do it, and I thought, "What? Isn't that that's confidence?" For that is
0: kind. So we just nestled
1: into the wheat field, and uh, no harm done. Uh, And um, I used my cell to dial the uh, air traffic controllers and told them I decided to stop off at (laughs) Waterus, and that was all good. Later on, I was greeted by. uh the, the local police of course
0: <laughs> so you actually had other people in the via, in the plane yes with you. i did
1: yeah i did and, and uh,
0: the woman who used the coffee cup did she ever and and squished everything ahead did she ever get to fly with you again
1: i don't think she wanted to fly with okay, me again I, yeah. I think that probably was enough for her awesome but uh, yeah it was it's just a sort of metaphor for life and that uh uh, I love flying, of course, and uh, say for business, I, I love business, I love uh, interaction with other other people and, and in the banking world, it's all about providing value, i.e. providing capital so people can go about and make things, do things, employ people, uh, and uh, the airplane uh, now and then, uh, you know, gives you these types of sure. challenges, right? Yeah. and yeah. Uh, my personal philosophy, is, as you heard me say, is uh, it's just the fates, and they're just trying to see if I'm up for the game.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> so as you go down, so is there a, like a surreal moment? It's so quiet. You're gliding. You're above a lake. What is going through your mind, or is just the pilot and the training kicking in?
1: Well, you certainly want the training to kick in so things are automatic. So right. you, you know how to fly an airplane, and you know that it's going to have to be the best landing you ever did in your life because right. there's, no, there's no going around yeah. uh, so so that part kicks in but uh the, the thoughts of of uh what is the trick next um that's probably what kept me out of the it's certainly what kept me out of the lake is if i had gone at the low altitude across the lake the engine was going to quit and i would have been in the water and then then it would have been a swimming ex- uh, challenge Right. <laughs> uh, it been but an- I, I preferred not to have had that one and as it was the plane wasn't damaged to uh, we came in light, uh, fairly light, and uh, the, the wheat field was soft. Uh, so So that's the wheat. What about the corn? Well, the corn was another experience. And, and uh, to frame this uh, properly, I think, for uh, those that are pilots and other folks, I, I've flown for about 30 years, and I've flown everywhere from the equator to the North Pole with small airplanes. And I've had a lot of airplanes, uh, a couple I've built myself, uh, rebuilt and such, and one I... I created. I called a skyvet. Uh, so <laughs> Did, it
0: didn't take off it, in the marketplace. The
1: skyvet. It, well, it wasn't really uh, uh, really uh, commercial. Okay, uh, there, <laughs>
0: but that's a great name, you know. Well, it was.
1: It was all about tremendous power. Yes. and uh, and climbing <laughs> to uh, altitudes uh, really rapidly. So so having these few experiences is kind of inevitable if if you do fly experimental planes that uh, and, and you do fly in these. Uh, these rough, rough areas where freak snowstorms snow kick up or thunderstorms like in the Caribbean, you, you're going to expect that once in a while uh, you, you have to uh, rely on, on your skills, your, your attitude, and also just plain good, good luck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have to hope that you don't get a, a healthy dose of bad luck.
0: Right, and uh, not in that
1: moment. So the, the cornfield, lessons from the cornfield, right? Yeah. Uh, so... Um, what happened is uh, I, I had uh, an airplane that I, I'd been following for some time. It was called the F- Air Commander 560F, and it was an Air Force One that on the President Roosevelt had used. Uh, a very powerful Air Commander, and, and he'd got it and out of a grass strip. And uh, I like grass strips because they're convenient to visit people. And so I would purchased this plane, and, uh, and uh, here's the lessons. Here's uh, the lessons. It was really tough to get those engines rebuilt. I had to resort to all kinds of uh, ingenuity and ingenious <laughs> ways to, to get the mechanic to go to Fort Lauderdale to uh, rebuild the engines. I, I I put his family up at the beach. You know, oh, <laughs> so he, he'd feel good yeah. about it. But long story short, it was a lo- it was a really tough project. And if there's any lesson we learned, sometimes things are too tough. Sometimes a guy, girl needs to throw in the towel and just say, you know, uh, it was a good try, but uh, I, if I'd known all this was coming, I would have stopped a long time ago. Uh, and, uh, and in this particular case, if there is such thing as a jinx, this plane was jinxed. <laughs> so finally, when I got the, uh, the engines rebuilt, um, I got uh, a uh, ferry pilot to fly it up to Canada, and I got the ferry permit and all, all that kind of good stuff. So he, I was up in the Arctic flying around and um, wouldn't you know it, uh, he took off on September 11th <laughs> and so, you know, nobody knew. I was, uh, I was in the Arctic and I got the call from uh, NORAD uh, saying, NORAD's in control, you got to land wherever you are. And we landed at the Ikati, uh, Di, uh, Ikati, uh Diamond Mine and uh, Wolfgang uh, landed in, uh, in, in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, so then the plane was stuck there, and then eventually, I got a special permit to bring it up to Canada, and eventually, after a year, we we rebuilt this beautiful plane. I put beautiful. I was into golds and greens at the time. Okay, I also remember that? that yeah. It, oh. The bank's colors were gold and green. I now do they're blue now and silver. That you say I, that. Yes. I, you know, you got to turn a chapter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this was the golden green days, and uh, it was a beautiful uh, a beautiful evening, and we tested the plane out and. Uh, I was sitting with my uh, my mechanic on the right seat, and um, everything looked great. Uh, we had about 50 gallons of gas, not very heavy. And the plane uh, was uh, should take off in about 1,000 feet, and it was 2,000-foot strip. So we, we let loose on the engines, let the brakes loose, and it just rocketed down the runway. And I was feeling so good. This was the month before, uh, after I got the bank license, the first, right, few okay, yes. in 18 years. And, I, I, you know, I was on top of the world. I mean, this is great. I love life. <laughs> <laughs> Sun was you know, just setting, and it was golden. And the weed, the corn, ominous corn, was yeah. a good eight feet high, <laughs> and, and, and it was pretty thick. And it was only about a sixty foot runway, and this had an almost fifty foot wing span. So I was rocketing down the runway, and at about mid runway, uh, the the mechanic called out the airspeeds, and it was right airspeed. I pulled back the yoke, expecting fully, because every other airplane I had in my life, you pull back the yoke when it said it's right airspeed, up she goes. It didn't go up it was like it was glued to the ground oh. so now now oh. I was in a freight train <laughs> heading to this wall of corn at the end and a big hill uh, and accelerating say at 120 knots and I was like holy Toledo uh, how do I maximize the probability of living uh, now and I had you know a few seconds and that's what I thought wow okay uh, now I have to uh, think uh, think through making sure I come out of this alive and um, so, what I elected to do, which is probably no surprise to people that know me, instead of honking on the brakes, which um, I thought, probably with the grass and lack of uh, friction, I'd probably nose into the berm at the end, and I'd I inevitably would be killed, because it's like hitting a brick wall with, uh, with nothing but aluminum. Uh, so I elected to leave the throttles wide open, of course. <laughs> And, uh, and then expects <laughs> that, God damn it, this plane's going to fly. We're going. <laughs> it's going, it's faster, going up, faster up faster.
0: I, it's think, co- I, I it's, think I can. I indeed. think I can. I think I can. Now, my
1: drone only had a few seconds to think that right. way. Because yeah. it was uh, hurtling towards the, uh, the hill and the, and the wall of the corn. And uh, as I got towards the end, I yanked back on the yoke, hoping that at least I could get the front wheel up so that it would bounce over this, this hill. And if it was to hit, it was going to hit belly in and not nose in. And uh, indeed, I had a, a second of kind of uh, elation. I thought I could see the blue sky. Oh. I thought, thank, thank goodness uh, the commander is going up. But its big long wheels smacked the, uh, smack the berm and pitched me into the corn. And I ate uh, five acres of corn with my face. Uh, 350 pounds came in the cockpit and uh, broke a few bones <laughs> and that was that but uh, I lived to tell the story and um, I think I think it was the right decision as uh, uh, the other one uh, might uh, I thought the probability was much much higher that it would it would have crashed nose into the, the hill this way I pancaked into a cornfield and, uh, Which was a little bit better.
0: So do they teach you that? They might, like, I've not ever gotten my pilot's license, but do they teach you different contingencies and a ways that you can recover in a situation like that? Or is that 30 years of flying experience?
1: That's 30 years of flying experience. I've oh, okay. uh, been in and out of gravel strips all over the Arctic and the Caribbean and uh, always kind of wonder what I'll do if, if and this is uh, all good pilots do this, they always wonder what they're going to do. Uh, and have a set program if the engine quits at a certain point right. along the way. And uh, we had um, uh, put a little bucket in the middle down the runway that uh, where, where the plane should lift off. Uh, the trouble was uh, it didn't lift off and it was glued. And I, at that moment I didn't think I had enough braking power to, to stop before I hit that, uh, that berm. Uh, so the big mistake was uh, rebuilding a plane that big uh, I, that could only take off a, on a field that short. Right. If I'd done it at London Airport, eight thousand eight hundred feet, it would have been a non-event. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't have another way out. Right. Um, it was either up in the sky or something was going to get broken.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's so the normally, thing nice. I
1: mean, the, the lesson I learned from that cornfield uh, uh, is that uh, I don't want to go into situations where I don't have another way out. Right. Uh, another acceptable way out. Acceptable way. Out, <laughs> so you don't yeah. have to rely on the integrity of your body to uh, right. withstand what uh, is coming
0: so you mentioned something about you need to know when to uh, oh. walk away like early in the day so yes. you know the old uh, know when to hold them know when yeah. to fold them and along your journey with your passion for planes you created a company called discovery air yes,
1: yes and indeed.
0: the intent of that was you built like a private jet or some, there was something. What was that little thing? That little. Remember the plane? Or was that not you who built it?
1: That was Christian Dries.
0: Yeah, that was right. I was what at was, your party yes, when you yes, had that. It's a
1: wonderful uh, plane, too. Okay, but Discovery yeah.
0: Air was different. It was. Yeah. What, what did it do?
1: Well, the idea was that uh, we could uh, provide niche aviation services to uh, markets in Canada that weren't that big. Uh, maybe they were remotely located, uh, uh, but they were essential services that Canadians need. Uh, and we could create a company that could cater to that business. So, we created uh, Discovery Air because uh, I got the inspiration from uh, the Ontario license plates, "Yours to Discover," oh, and yes. hence the blue and the whites that you've, you see yes. nowadays off those plates. So you
0: upped your game from yeah, gold and green. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I went to the I went to the blue and then the silver and the gold, uh, the the white and. Um, So um, Discovery Air was created to acquire niche aviation companies, consolidate them into one group, and then hopefully there'd be synergies uh, that they'd all benefit from. Access to capital being one thing, um, and aviation companies for the most part uh, uh, suffer from uh, uh, capital, lack of capital, and it's difficult to come by, and they're small and they're fragmented. Uh, I thought I could put together a kind of a group uh, where they had enough size, volume, and sophistication to be able to access capital. Uh, the other one was things like uh, cost of fuel. We could buy fuel in bulk and get a lot cheaper. Insurance, uh, employee benefits. So um, better together than apart was right. the, was the um, thesis behind it. So we set out to acquire a, a number of niche aviation uh, businesses. The first was a wonderful one called Hicks and Lawrence that's in, uh, flies out of Dryden. And uh, one of the reasons it appealed to me is they fly the same plane that I was flying at the time—a Skymaster. I just love Skymaster; it's push-pull, very rugged airplane. The one I went into the wheat field with uh, was a Skymaster. Perfect. And bottom line is, here you are. Here I am, and that plane didn't didn't suffer a.
0: I mean, it did lose two engines up in the air, but (laughs) you know, details, details. (laughs) Okay.
1: But but you know, it's such a rugged plane; it was designed for Vietnam, and they, they were stories of pilots coming home with one of the tails shot off and one engine shot out and then oh, neat. came home okay so it's I, I like the plane and Hicks and Lawrence flew uh, the largest fleet of sky masters about 18 and aero commanders <laughs> Very uh, my, cool. other, my other love of my life Aero commanders <laughs> yes, so right. um, so we acquired uh, Hicks and Lawrence and they do aerial forest firefighting serving the government of Ontario and you know, all these little villages up north where uh, forest fires could put them in jeopardy wonderful business Uh the other one we acquired was uh, a really exciting company called Top Aces. And Top Aces uh, provides, still does today, provides uh, military training services to uh, primarily the Canadian military, but now other militaries with real-time Uh, mostly real-time dogfighting experience. Hmm. So uh, we had at the time, I think, the largest private fleet of um, twin-engine jet fighters, Alpha Jets, and wonderful pilots were our Canadian top aces kind of guys that uh, would would teach the the young guys coming into the program, young guys and girls coming into the program, uh, of what it would be like in a real-life dogfight against... uh, uh, they, an enemy that these that uh, our pilots had experienced uh, in their lives. Uh, so that was another wonderful business. Uh, Air Tindy, uh, did a lot of medevac and uh, scheduled flights in the Arctic, uh, great slave helicopters. Uh, so a really the, the nice business. The principles there.
0: Yes. You've got the right people. It sounds like you acquired yes. some great companies.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Niche market. So Absolutely. if you're thinking about starting a business, you've got all these things checked.
1: Yeah, we did it all. And the cash flow poured in the door. Uh, it was wonderful, a uh, well, really nice business, and we did realize the synergies. We got discounts on gas and all that stuff, and uh, insurance. So, so that it was a wonderful business, but uh, there was a, there was a, uh, of course uh, not a happy ending for our shareholders in that. Um, uh, I don't know if you recall the history, but somewhere along the line, we uh, dividended out our control in uh, in Discovery Air to our shareholders. So we created an in-kind dividend and uh, dividended these shares out so that um, our shareholders would become the direct owners of of Discovery Air. And um, the flaw in that sort of business business move was that uh, as soon as we lost control of Discovery Air, uh, and this was a fairly new company, um, others thought they could run the company better than those bankers right those stuffy bankers at the banker board uh and this banker ceo uh that uh, they could do a better job of, of running the company now their timing was very very poor in that canada had just entered uh, the liquidity crisis right and as i said to these pilots afterwards i said well that's like jettisoning your your pilot in the middle of a thunderstorm if you wanted to throw Dave and his team out, you should throw them out after the liquidity.
0: Right? Crisis. Yeah, you should have waited. No, you should was, have waited. Yeah.
1: To, and that's that's where that's what happened. Is so uh, when we were um, asked to leave as board members and CEO, and the new group took over, uh, they promptly found themselves without uh, financing, because uh, the banks, of course, abandoned them at that time in the liquidity crisis and. Uh, and uh, we're were uh, worried about the new change of control, control the new management uh, they hadn't seen before. Uh, so they ended up without, uh, without financing, had to pay extremely high rates, and it just got worse and worse. I, I likened it to grabbing a tiger by the tail. It, it, sound, it looked easy maybe when uh, we bankers were uh, watching the purse strings. But it, it was a lot tougher job, especially in a liquidity crisis. So.
0: Right. And so if you were mentoring a young business person who was had an idea, had a viable option, the idea of giving away control is probably not a good idea.
1: Well, in the early stages of a company's development, uh, it's, it's better, I think, uh, to stay under the control of the uh, founders, the originators, as long as things are going well. Right. Um, because there's so much to do. There's so many things that pop up that are unexpected. And uh, the founder and his team, or her team, they, they know what, they've been there. They understand it. Yeah. They've got the enthusiasm this and that. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's groups uh, that look at good corporate governance. And one of the things is they, they uh, talk about having... Uh, not two classes of shares uh, they 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 think it's wrong that this founder shares and and the rest of the other shares i would say in principle in the long run it's nice to have all the same classes shares i like that corporate democracy but when it comes to starting a new company it, it's there's a lot of wisdom in having founder shares that have voting control for at least five years some period of time to stabilize the company uh, so this this sort of craziness didn't happen. Uh, right. it, it was a um, it was it was likely uh, like, like the motivation was ego uh, on the other side, and um, uh, you know ironically the reason why we created Discovery Air is because we thought we had some we could add some value as bankers, business people, and uh, finance people. To an aviation industry that suffered lack of capital, right? And, and then, of course, as soon as they threw us out, they're up to lack of capital. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Ironic. It's like lack of fuel. Well, it's, it's, carb, carb yeah. a bitch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> okay. I think there's a, a takeaway for anybody listening. Uh, if they're in the, if you're in the corporate governance world, then uh, I'd abandon the idea of uh, of uh, same class of shares right from the get go. Uh, but somewhere, sometime in the future, it's probably not a bad idea to move to uh, an open class of, of shares for everybody. But uh, when companies are new and they're they're still kind of in the rock and roll stage, uh, it's probably better to, to leave it with the founders.
0: So shareholders yes. are something that you've had a lot of experience with at VersaBank. Uh, Versa and it used to be called Pacific and Western Bank of Canada, so yes, I had indeed. to almost catch myself yes, there. Yes, yes. So I remember, like, originally there was a ton of uh, enthusiasm and excitement, yes. and it was yeah. just a buzz when yes. it was Pacific yeah. and Western, and you got your class at uh, one, uh, you know, all Set of that. Yeah, lessons. great, yeah. woohoo! it yeah. was excitement. And then there was a bit of a dip.
1: Yes, yes.
0: I'm being polite, I think. Sure, yeah, yeah. it was
1: a precipitous fall. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> There was a precipitous fall. Yeah.
1: yeah, and
0: now you're riding high again. Knock on wood. Things are going exceptionally yeah. well. People yeah, are our happy. numbers
1: are looking very good again. They, they uh, really are. Yeah.
0: And so, what is that roller coaster like? Because when you're the CEO, you're the founder. You're it's your your life. Like yeah. your life's work in many ways, or yes. part of your life's work. And then you've got a whole bunch of people in the background who you have to answer to.
1: Yeah, well, it, it is an interesting uh, uh, place to be uh, uh, in that you have so many um, uh, factions of people that you have to answer to. Particularly if you're uh, a Schedule One bank, the stakeholders uh, range from uh, the risk-averse people that put uh, uh, their deposit money with you and and uh, certainly expect to see it coming back, right. and don't want the CEO to take any chances with their money. So. The, first and foremost, you've got your depositors uh, that don't get a vote but they are your number one concern that, uh, that uh, you, you, you always manage the bank in such a way that uh, they're, they're going to get their money back. And then at the furthest extreme perhaps you have uh, the common shareholder uh, that are looking uh, for an appreciating stock or, or I guess as a bank matures uh, a nice dividend. And so you've got those masters, and then others in between. You've got your you know, government regulators, and then uh, some provincial regulation to uh, to uh, satisfy too. So, long story short, with respect to um, uh, sort of the, that uh, the climb in the in the share price, and then the, then the drop of the share price, I, I have to sort of philosophically I look at it like this: the um, stock market is is often how people uh, sort of. Um, Uh, determine whether a company's uh, doing well or not but it isn't it isn't really the case the stock market is uh, at least in the shorter run tends to rarely get it right if a company's doing well and uh, as warren buffett says in in the longer run it's a weighing machine in in the short run it's it's a voting machine so with respect to um the pacific and western it went uh, from about uh, equivalent terms, say 50 cents stock to about a high of $17 uh, over a 10 year period of time. So that was the height, uh, that's the period of time when uh, uh, women wanted me to kiss their babies and uh, yeah. people uh, people were thanked me for their children's education. Right. <laughs> it was a wonderful 10 year period of time. Now the stock actually was trading at very high multiples. Uh, uh, way, way, way higher multiples than than today's VersaBank is. Uh, VersaBank makes way more money than than uh, Pacific and Western ever did, um, but trades at such extremely low multiples. So it's funny how the perception is is, right. is, is that the the bank today is is way more profitable, but and uh, but back in the early days of Pacific and Western, the stock was trading at, at a very high uh, high price. Uh, one of the reasons was it peaked out around what they called the the dot, dot com era, right? And it, it was it's thought to be a dot com type company, a branchless bank. So it went screaming up, and and then of course the liquidity crisis struck, and for various reasons, um, our, our regulator thought that uh, we and uh, I guess the rest of the bank should. Should, uh, should load up in capital, probably the worst time in history to try to go out the market and load up in capital. And that, and that caused a lot of dilution for uh, shareholders, and, and I was a big shareholder, so I faced a massive dilution during that period of time. So, uh, you know, while uh, I was being chastised by some of our shareholders who were very unhappy about the dilution and the stock uh, going, they, they could, uh, I don't know just this gave them any, uh, any uh, uh, f- well, what's the word? Feeling of uh, comfort, of, uh, comfort yeah. or, or, or at least justice <laughs> that the CEO suffered way, way more, way worse, way, way worse. worse. Uh, so, uh, yeah. how do
0: you? Because sometimes with uh, people, when their their money is off, yes, so they're losing money, whether it's in the stock market or they're just spent too much. It could be, yeah. uh, and all just varying levels of zeros, right? Yes. Like yeah. for for different people who are listening, how do you keep? the the distance from the emotional connection to that because i'm often trying to help people say okay yeah. you know what the bank account may not be where you want it to be but that doesn't mean you need to be in a pissy mood or you yeah. know be harder on your staff or all of that like how do you separate that or can you
1: well from the fellow that runs the company i i uh, run the company to the best of my ability trying to satisfy all those stakeholders and it is a bit of a balancing act um but uh, it, that I never changed my attitude. I, I'm always running the company to the best of my ability, uh, so that uh, the depositors can be assured that their money is safe and sound, and that uh, there is some uh, some appreciation, some gain for for the uh, common shareholders. Uh, if, if I'm chastised from time to time about from shareholders, well, I just that's my job. I have to take it. It's like hitting the wheat in the. Yeah. Do we feel? Adorable? Do you sleep
0: at night, or like, are, do you ruminate about it and go and stress? Like, do you ever get stre- Like, I've never known you to be like, "Oh, look, David's really stressed out today." I've not seen that.
1: No, I guess I don't. Bottom line is, I don't because I always go to bed at night knowing that I'm doing my very best. And uh, if if I do hear something from somebody, I just say, "Well, you know, uh, I, I did the best I could for you." Um, oftentimes with stock. Uh, people have this this way of thinking about it. They bought the stock at fifty cents, and it went up to uh, seventeen dollars, and it went back to five. They they were still
0: There's still ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the math is in their yeah, favor.
1: Yeah, it's lo- it's oftentimes they they look at a peak of a stock and then they look at uh, what it fell back to and they say, oh my goodness. Um, but then again, it's it's up to the uh, investment advisors to ensure you know that their clients. Are, are properly diversified and they're not in deep in, in startup stocks or riskier stocks. They, they have to uh, know what their client's risk appetite is. Right. And, and my job isn't to know what the client's risk appetite is. I just, I just disclose everything I'm doing, tell everybody what I have in mind, and some people buy in. Now, right. um, if, they, if they put their life savings into to, uh, a lottery ticket stock, well, it may work out really well and it may, it not, may not. not. But, you know, I think the bottom line is, is, is I, I'm not there to increase their their wealth, or net, that's their investment advisors. I just create a company that um, is exciting and uh, does, uh, you know, from time to time, there's risks. Uh, we think our bank and its present model is, is relatively low risk. Um, it's been around for a long time. It's yeah. a lot of established things. Uh, and maybe that's why it trades such slow little multiple now because it's not exciting. <laughs> right.
0: It lacks that, uh, that um, je ne sais quoi. The, the, uh, yeah. like, it's been around a while. You're not well, quite yeah. the new, new kid on the block. There exactly. Are of and, that, and
1: that's an interesting irony, isn't it? Because um, uh, in the early days when it was all exciting and new and fresh, uh, the stock rocketed up. Way beyond uh, the the multiples that's trading today, and now now it's established and turning large large profits. Uh, it it's it's not trading there, so it's kind of that's the thing I was talking about the stock market. Yeah, it rarely it gets it right. It, right. It's uh, it's it's more the story. It's more the blue sky, and uh you know, some of the marijuana stocks today are a perfect example of that. Exactly there's no financial justification or their price. But son of a gun, look at them go. Uh, uh, People better start smoking a lot of pot. A lot of pot here in Canada. Exactly. Uh, Where it's
0: legal for the international listeners. (laughs) (laughs) It's legal here. Uh, That's awesome. So one of the things, like when you started your career, like you started BMO Bank, like a very safe bank, and then you were Barclays. Yes. And then you had this little magical idea that you were going to create another bank
1: yes indeed all on your own yeah
0: and it's interesting because that's a very entrepreneurially spirited desire yes and yet so you're very entrepreneurial in nature yes and yet you're working within the corporate confines of a bank Bank. in many ways so how do you balance that because and here's why i'm asking this question because i know i talk to a lot of Mm -hmm. professionals i go into companies and i speak and i i go to banks and you know accounting firms and sometimes people will say to me you know i'm kind of like i feel like i want to be an entrepreneur yes and i'm working this nine to five ish job but i need to stay here just, it's the money, like whatever reason they need to stay there. How do you balance that desire for entrepreneurial spirit with this is the work I do day to day?
1: Well, I, I think first, uh, firstly, it's probably intrinsic. It's, it's probably um, uh, an intrinsic characteristic that people have that uh, uh, makes them take chances and move in, uh, do entrepreneurial things. Uh, some people are just aren't born with it, some people are born with it in spades. So I think first and foremost, uh, you have to be sort of born an entrepreneur. Um, and then uh, sort of an attitude develops. Like my attitude throughout my life was I, I wasn't actually working for anybody. I was selling my services to the highest bidder when it suited me. Uh, and so when I worked for those various organizations, say the Bank of Montreal for example, uh, I, I just viewed it as a, stopping, a place to stop and learn. I thought, this is a wonderful learning experience. These people are teaching me everything, uh, but I don't really work for them. Uh, I get a paycheck from them, but I, I work for myself. I'm there to gain knowledge, experience, and and uh, you know Barclays was the same way. I thought, uh, wow, this is fantastic. I get to run a branch here in London, start it up, hire the people, put the business plan together, and this lovely British bank uh, sends me money to lend <laughs> out. <laughs> so then, you know, uh, Time uh, progressed, and I thought, well, this is all wonderful. I've now learned all I need to learn. And uh, so the trick is how to find the money. Right. Uh, to be a banker, you, you have to have access to low-cost uh, funds. And to do that, you have to have CDIC deposit insurance uh, in the States, the Fed insurance. If you don't have deposit insurance, you'll be paying too high a rate, and you can't take banker risk. You have to take a lot more. So the trick was then, okay. Uh, I thought PC technology had co- come to the point where I could write some software on PCs and, ge- and create bran- a branchless bank with telephone modems and have that access to cheap deposits, CDIC insured, that allowed me to become a, a branchless bank. So it, it wasn't, um, it didn't just happen. I was just waiting for the time. Right. And uh, there was a bit of a recession in the early 90s, and that was a good time, uh, as opposed to what people think. Recessions is a great time to start a bank. Because uh, 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 the, the good customers are often not being treated all that well from other banks. Right. So, they, <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> you start a looking. new bank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if, 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 it's, uh, if, um, if there's a status quo, a stable system, entrepreneurs have a rough time. Uh, we, we look for chaos, for uh, something changing, some disruption, because then, then you're, uh, you're, hopefully your fast thinking, creative ideas uh, can be brought to bear. And you can make uh, a difference, but if it's a stable, something stable, well, uh, you got you know, it's, it's it's pretty it's tough to break a little in. bit harder. Yes, yeah. exactly.
0: Uh, last question before we move into our fast five questions that aren't that Alrighty. fast: uh, w- leadership style. I know you, you look at things uh, very much for yourself as a game and sort of a challenge and the bad sure. comes. and we, we talked about that before we started recording, that obstacles are just like, yeah, that's just what happens. So you just yeah. deal with them and you don't want to get them off you your You know the thick. fates are
1: there. Right. You, you know they're going to try and throw one
0: at you. For sure, <laughs> for sure. And how do you lead other people to be resilient or to have that same kind of attitude that you have?
1: Well, uh, f- Firstly, I try to hire people that uh, have the, those types of attitudes. So it's, uh, the job one is that you have to ensure that the people you bring on board uh, have a little bit of an entrepreneurial bent to them uh, so that uh, they understand the philosophy of the company. Uh, and so then when you've got those kind of people, luckily, luckily uh, I do, and I've been able to attract them in the aviation industry and the other businesses, uh, uh, finding those, those people, uh, the next thing is, is to is to ensure that they don't become despondent, uh, and um, those things you mentioned, where you're, where things are not going well, and people can uh, let that sink in, uh, and uh, it can ruin their day, ruin <laughs> their sleep, <laughs> you know. So, I, I believe in positive reinforcement all the time. Uh, so when, even in encouraging people to do their very best, uh, I. I uh, you know, I, as I said to somebody, I don't believe in the uh, disposable employee or the uh, scapegoat philosophy that you you see some some famous uh, CEOs have brought uh, brought in. Uh, I, I think uh, that you can get the best out of a team or uh, people, uh, and uh, you know, <laughs> animal trainers will tell you you get the best out of you. Uh, train your dog or your horse yep. or whatever. Positive reinforcement uh, works extremely well, uh, and so that, that when you have have the uh, privilege of running a little company like I do uh, you, you get to call the shots so you can ensure, ensure the incentive award programs uh, reward positive behavior um, and uh, let's say we're in the lending game for example if we have a bad loan we don't say who's to blame for that uh, we just say hey we're playing a risk game and uh, we all bought in we all this is what we do and now we're going to get that money back. Right. You know, we're going to do something with it. But we don't. It, we don't uh, uh, look to to uh, create a sort of a negative uh, for somebody because that what that will do immediately is cause them to pull in, and be very uh, reluctant to go out and and uh, create, do more take more chances. To right. More You'd end so, up uh, losing
0: the the upside on uh, or taking a risk later. Yeah. yeah. at
1: These are all truths. I think everybody should sure. know that positive reinforcement works works well.
0: Well, and I think people should know that, but we know that should is often not
1: an yeah. adopted
0: philosophy, right? Our so fellow
1: humans sometimes... Uh, <laughs>
0: they falter. Well, <laughs> yes, they've got that yes. human humanity that's yes, the problem, uh, yes, right? Indeed, We're all yeah. faulted.
1: Yeah, you see that. But um, yeah.
0: Okay, so yep. uh, I have five sort of fun questions sure. that I ask every guest on the show. Okay. And uh, the first one is a book that changed your life
1: oh gee um let's see uh most most recently the book that i thought a lot about was racing in the rain it's a it's a it's a it's a dog (laughs) narrating his life really okay good i thought that was an interesting book Uh, i uh i don't read business books interesting okay I, i started as a biology major biologist and uh I, I'm still all about biology and science, so I, I rarely read anything to do with uh, with business. Uh, Isn't
0: that interesting? See, I would have made the assumption that you yeah. did, but again, to uh, I, like assume is not a great thing to do. But being a ceo and and all that journey so how did you learn or did you just do everything well, i did in, an
1: mba uh, okay bangman everybody should have an mba
0: perfect so, okay so, so they said a,
1: that bachelor of science you have in biology isn't really going to cut it here dave uh, uh, but i guess from books um well what interests me are uh, more or less philosophical questions right. um I, I'm pondering presently the uh, uh where where consciousness uh resides where it comes from how, how it is uh, how it is yeah um those are questions that I, I think uh are worth thinking about um maybe that's what gives me my more of a game player atmosphere. it very well it could
0: be and uh, that, you're living business every day yeah so you yeah. It, it, having other books that are more Enjoyable and perhaps could even be a little bit more of a creative outlet, like in a way, like just getting a different part of your brain working.
1: Yeah, I read the business papers, okay. newspapers every day, like financial British Financial Times. Uh, I read it from cover to cover every day. So I get to That's see. A,
0: you got all that. that I go to see stuff. what other people are
1: doing and uh, the big mistakes <laughs> they're right. making or the big wins they're, they're doing right. too,
0: yeah. Awesome. Okay, a time in your career when you pushed through fear.
1: Hmm. Well, um, the liquidity crisis presents a real challenge for for us. Uh, we 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 had uh, uh, seen it coming to a certain degree, and uh, and t- t- taking a lot of uh, proactive plans so that uh, our bank would s- would stand up to it. We we sort of noticed early on, uh, this is in two thousand and seven ish, that the market wasn't paying for risk, and that uh, uh, and usually, usually that happens. The banking industry usually ends up badly. Uh, however, um, uh, we, we got a bit of a lesson that uh, uh, the world was going to look after the big banks, uh, despite them seemingly being been tr- uh, the cause of the trouble. Right. They were still going to look after the big banks because, in fact, they were too big to fail. Right. <laughs> and uh, and the little guys were an afterthought. Uh, so a lot of the reg- uh, regulation that was brought in place um, didn't didn't suit the little banks all that well, and uh, in fact. Um, this, I'm not just talking Canada, throughout the world this was was the case. So that created a, quite a challenge for, for our little bank, but luckily um, they, in, you know, the fundamentals of our bank were, were strong. Right? We didn't have loan losses, We our capital was sufficient, we had l- tons of liquidity, uh, as opposed to the uh, domestically important financial institutions or the systematically, that had lots of losses right. and liquidity was a, a huge issue. Uh, but it, it was a challenge uh, to get through and uh, if there ever was a time that I had to encourage the staff to be positive and the directors and and our other stakeholders that was the time this this uh, there were some people thought the sky was falling literally they you know, I had regulators call me and say uh, they'd, I won't name the government it's gonna fail <laughs> no it's not gonna fail Are you kidding uh, but they would say those things here on the phone uh, and um, just scared they is, were scared yeah, this is our government yeah. saying these things and um, that kind of panic uh, in the cockpit wouldn't work as a pilot uh, right. we have a thing called cockpit resource management and uh, when you hear those words you know th- you've got to make some fast decisions to, to stop if you hear your co-pilot or guy in the right or left seat same words the panicky words it's time to get control of that airplane right and i witnessed that all over panicky statements knee-jerk reactions so it, it was a uh, a time it, it, you know this is if if you know if if the game was easy uh now i had an opponent uh, an opponent that was worth worth uh yeah it was worth playing against <laughs>
0: <That's absolutely> awesome <laughs> yeah. now are you on social media at all i know uh, you're on linkedin but not oh, really yeah, I,
1: I think a little bit on uh, but you don't Face uh, Facebook. Oh yeah, yeah. Facebook. Okay. Yeah, yeah, That's it. That's yeah. It. All right.
0: Yeah. So this next question maybe isn't as. It's more yeah. about if you could change one thing people are doing online, oh. what would you change? What would oh, that thing well, be? This,
1: I have a. Yeah, I should say on, on the Facebook. I mean, the ones that I like are this a Sky Master's uh, Facebook site for those fellows that like to fly Sky Masters. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all right. You know, I get to see airplanes flying. Around. I love that. But um, what what? i think uh, we have to be careful of in this in the world as humans we have to be really really careful of is this a massive inflow of data uh uh, that uh, is unprecedented flowing into the minds of our younger younger kids it's coming in through the iphones and such the snapchats and the, the twitters and it's coming at such a pace that i don't think i know there's no chance we humans have evolved to be able to take that kind of data in and process it that fast and you're seeing some really worrisome uh, effects, uh, such as anxiety and depression, uh, suicides, all kinds of stuff is peaking. And it, it's it's highly correlated to the advent of, of the uh, of the iPhones and, uh, and Android-type phones. So the part that worries me is that, um, you know, for most of our existence, uh, we've been communicating verbally, as we are today. Yeah. Thank you for seeing me. In person. in person, yeah, <laughs> and um, and now in the last say twenty years, we've moved from personal communications that took its time, and you got body language, and you could chat, and you could you could write a letter. It took maybe a week to deliver and get back uh, to instantaneous communication that, that sort of bombards young brains. Uh, I think our older brains are somewhat impervious to it because we, we fall asleep, but, <laughs> 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 but the young brains soaking it up. Trying to process it, and uh, I mean the writing's right there on the wall. Uh, with uh, it was Atlantic Monthly that published a, a, a nice graph uh, talking about this, and that's very scary. Because um, their
0: their brains aren't even developed yet. No, they're, and they're they're getting overwhelmed. And well, uh, that's
1: absolutely it. Is is that who knows what the effect is on a developing brain? Right. Uh, as we know, all kinds of things, uh, events can occur in a child's development uh some tra- traumatic events big events and they actually impair our brain development yeah. that's that's well known and this this is sort of just starting um so i am very worried about that that yeah. uh fair enough and it just seems the world is a, is sort of screaming along at a rapid pace where where uh, information's flowing uh False information is, is flowing probably faster than, than the, the real, stuff. <laughs> real yeah. stuff.
0: And you mentioned the anxiety, and I'm seeing that a lot out in uh, yeah. talking with people, like a lot of stories coming to me on yeah. the resilience stuff, and a lot of it is the the overwhelm, and you need to disconnect. Yes. So I'm glad you brought that up and you see it. Yeah, I think, yeah.
1: I think uh, with respect to uh, resiliency, which is, is your, your topic, your yeah. thing. I, I think a person has to remember that they're they're an animal. They're, yeah. You know, we're two hundred seventy-five thousand years ago from uh, from our from our last uh, species, Homo like we're Homo sapiens. So, yeah. uh, and, and that's not a very long time in evolution. Uh, so if if you, if you want uh, any other animal to be re- remain resilient, you have to be uh, in shape. You, you have to have rest time. You have to eat properly. Right. You have to get sunshine and fresh air, or you won't be resilient. Uh, and it seems that uh, people have somewhat forgotten that from time to time. They seem overwhelmed with digital media. They seem to be in it all the time in the basement, clicking away at it. Right. Uh, and that little... Uh, uh, human body that they, 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 they inherited, it's, it's not up for the kids.
0: It's not interested in this lifestyle. It, it, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's right. Go to the woods, people. Go for yeah. a hike. All yeah. right.
1: I do that every day. Oh, do you? <laughs> oh, okay, absolutely. so do you
0: have a morning routine?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I have a trainer. He, okay. His name is Rufus, and he's a boxer dog. And, oh! <laughs> and, and there's no telling Rufus that it's too wet, it's too rainy, it's too cold. He doesn't care. Right. He's ready for his run. And uh, in the winter time, I have a snow bike. And uh, luckily for me, I have a forest and forest trails. And uh, yeah. uh, so, beautiful property. Yeah, yeah, and I can ride yeah. uh, with Rufus. And in the summer, it's it's beautiful. Uh, but I spend at least uh, an hour in the woods every day. Uh, you know, it's so I love it. Uh, yeah. And um, I do my thinking there. And, uh, you know, uh, all I have to be worried about is... Uh, is a coyote or a, or a bad raccoon that would talk, <laughs> that, yeah. that, that, that Rufus are, and then the coyote are not yeah. not getting along. But that's that's it. it, it I, I think uh, I think there's a wisdom for us humans to uh, to spend some time not in the woods particularly, but somewhere where they can be a contemplative and uh, think Nature. about things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, two more questions and then we're, we're going to wrap this up I think we could talk for another hour but uh, networking you remember <laughs> sure. I used to teach Absolute, networking absolutely. so yeah. I always like to uh, and I say used to because now I do yeah. focus more mainly yeah. on the resilience but I like to ask my guests what's a, a really great or a really bad your favorite networking story of
1: yours geez hmm. I don't know if I have any let me see if I can think of any yeah um, well, I, I think that if your plan is to uh, start a certain business, uh, and say mine, mine was banking, uh, then um, for one thing, uh, a, some famous people have said this, uh, if you hold a thought long enough, it seems to attract the, the ideas. Well, with respect to networking, if you hold a thought long enough that you want to be a banker and you want to create a bank, it's somehow you seem to attract people networking people yeah. who come to you who who are part of that that program and somehow they seek you out or you find them just by chance or you overhear something and uh, and uh, it, it becomes sort of who you are because you've learned from all these other people that have helped you out and and they're there sometimes for a lifetime uh, to, to be sounding boards or to be helpful uh, I remember Alan Taylor once in the in closet uh, a uh, famous london banker who uh you know all us bankers aspire to be a, maybe a fraction of it, something <laughs> yeah. like that and he said to me once in the in the cloakroom in the at the hunt club he said i like what you're doing with that bank he said you're not replacing the uh, the human experience with digital uh, thing or this uh, you're enhancing it and i thought to myself wow that's right i said we're not trying to uh uh, it rep- as, as I was just lamenting about the digital media thing, yeah. uh, we're not trying to replace the human relationship. We're, we're trying to make it better. Uh, so uh, we're trying to get the computers to do the mundane little things that uh, we humans aren't so good at anyways. But we want to have more time for the human experience. Uh, and uh, I'd say from a, you know, that that fellow uh, was fantastic. Uh, there was a fellow called Eugene George and his son, Pat George, who who are just uh, wonderful people you can learn from. Every word you sort of want uh, and then of course, I, I make that uh, that uh, pil- pilgrimage to Mecca to see uh, Warren Buffett. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just list everything the guy has to say, him and Charlie Munger. I, every word that comes out of their mouth, I usually take a, a, a contingent of, uh, of, of Londoners or others that, that want to go with me and uh, and sit at the foot of the master. And
0: just <laughs> That's listen. awesome. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, All right. Your last one, because I could ask you a lot of questions about that, but I think we have to wrap it up. As disappointing as that is for the listeners, uh, your favorite empowering quote.
1: Oh, uh, if it's to be, it's up to me. <laughs>
0: All right. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, that is a great place to end it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, David, for being here. Well, and I you. will be sure to have uh, your contact details in the short show notes, not your specific ones, but yes. the website for the bank and sure. and everything there. Thank you so much for being a part of this and, and sharing your story. And to the Resiliency Ninja listeners out there, please do not forget to uh, subscribe so you never miss an interview or a Facha uh, Friday where I share some insights on how to become resilient in the workplace. And uh, if you'd like, please leave, uh, not even if you'd like, I'm going to ask you straight out, hey Siri, remind me to leave a review on Allison Graham's podcast for the Resiliency Ninja because that's how everybody knows it's a great place to come and get some great information. And don't forget to share. Thanks for being here. And until next time, ciao